Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this, the latest episode of the HR Tech Chat video podcast. And I have a very, very special guest with me today. It is Mike Atling, who is CEO of Unit 4. Welcome, Mike. Hey, Brent. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you, too. Um, I remember the first time I am I met you. I don't know if I actually met you. I don't recall, but I, I was in the um, in at the event. It was for journalists and analysts way back in the day. I think it was maybe 2011 or so. At, uh, Northgate or Rinso. Um, yeah, and I've I've followed your career in a, not in a stalking way, just in the background. <laughs> followed your career <laughs> ever since. Just oh, Mike's there now, and and. Uh, or here and there, and now you're at Unit Four, and uh, it's just been fascinating to watch. And we were, um, we were at a uh, Unit Four's uh, analyst summit back in uh, late-ish 2021 in Boston, and I remember being very impressed with what you're doing there and what the team's doing. And uh, and then we spoke uh, with you spoke with us, the 360 Insights team, at HR Technology Conference and Expo uh, back in September, and uh, we had an interesting conversation there, but. And and there's some there's some of that we wanted to sort of uh, resurrect today. But first of all, maybe you could share with the uh, share with the audience, uh, you know, what brought you to Unit Four? What have you been doing? What how do you view the HCM market space? These sorts of things. Just, you know, I, yeah. not not too much pressure here, but anything. But well, um, well, Brent, that goes back some time, 2011. But- But it's interesting because that was my first sort of segue from having spent most of my career in IT services and IT outsourcing, you know, and a little bit of BPO with companies like EDS. That was kind of my first transition at NGA into HR and the world of HR. And, you know, and then I went on to spend time at Success Factors. And what got me interested in in Unit 4 was the kind of the, the convergence of, of the people aspect with ERP, because Unit 4 focuses on ERP for people-centric businesses. So, you know, we're not interested in widgets and manufacturing. We're interested in companies where the R, the resources a person. And, you know, how does that hang together in terms of what we call the, uh, the, the triple play value, which is around finance, HR, and project accounting and project management? So, you know, I say that I it's constantly been about people plays in the sense that NGA was all about paying people, success factors was all about engaging people, and unit four is all about enabling people. Um, so that's been a little bit of my um, sort of career and thinking around it. Um, you know, I think I think the the world we live in now around HR tech is, is an interesting world because certainly in my area of focus, people-centric businesses, consultants, accountants, lawyers, engineering firms, I don't think you can afford the luxury of thinking of finance, HR, and project accounting in three distinct buckets. Because an, an effective professional services firm, it's all about the integration of those three and how things happen in between those three uh, entities, you know, whether you recording time, billing time, learning people's skill sets, assigning people to a next project, it's all in a very, it's all got to be highly integrated. Um, and it's all got to be really in sort of one type environment. Mm-hmm. 
So who would have thought after my success factors career, yeah, I'd be advocating the power of one <laughs> of a solution and how it should be operating. You know, it's it's super interesting. Um, and I have so many thoughts. One is, you know, I was envisioning sort of a Venn diagram of those three domains of the enterprise, right? You know, there, there are a few things that happen, you know, um, that are really sort of, you know, unique to those areas, but there's so much overlap. Um, and, and to be able to approach uh, an organization, um, you know, as, as a vendor and say, hey, you know, we, 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 you know, we're able to solve not just for your, you know, FPNL, but also your, you know, your HCM, uh, and we can make those things work together. That to me is really interesting. Uh, many years ago, I uh, was speaking with uh, someone whose name escapes me, uh, but we were talking about the the hockey stick graph in terms of uh, the, uh, the 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 benefits that you can sort of um, really experience when you're when you're really able to make you know ERP or and and uh, H HCM if you can really sort of get them tight and working together. There's a lot of upside there. And, you know, you talk about the, go I ahead, think, go ahead. I think my definition of in that, in that world of services businesses, it was interesting you said ERP and HCM. Yeah. My definition of ERP includes finance, HCM, and project oh, account. Right. You can see ERP as a component, but it's the overarching piece. And if you think about that sort of triangle, <laughs> those three things what really makes those businesses succeed is what happens inside the triangle around data movement and workflow and how and insights which you can get so the days of kind of thinking about well i can buy three triangle points and then try integrate it and put it together you know for professional services firms i think has gone yeah you know what? That's that's a great point, and it, and it's really fascinating to me, and really encouraging how how it, and it seems to be a, a very organic or almost background thing that's enabling us to kind of think uh, to expand our our thinking in the space where we're looking at we're looking at uh, uh, activity in the enterprise more holistically, right? It's very moving away from those those discrete silos and you know a great analogy is in is in uh, uh talent acquisition and talent management I, the latter i think is a term that's going to go away eventually um not right away um but it's really it, that stuff blends together you know i'm i'm old enough to remember when uh internal hiring was called promoting people right now it's called internal hiring you have uh, re-onboarding, you have internal onboarding, all this kind of stuff. And you have learning that threads through the entire thing. You know, this, you know, uh, with the exception of, you know, actually sourcing the potential new external uh, person, right? External hire. There really is no discernible beginning and end point um, uh, between those two domains anymore. Yeah. yeah. I, I think you're right. I think we're seeing the, that whole value chain from, you know, finding talent, engaging the talent, and then how talent gets developed, really melding now into one continuous type of process. 
And, but I also think it's drive, there's a cultural shift driving around this as well, because, you know, HR has traditionally come at this from the perspective of HR has to manage this. And, you know, I wonder to which, to what extent once somebody's engaged in an organization, you know, the management and responsibility for development and talent should actually be more squarely in, in that person's realm of responsibility, mm. you know. No, I, I agree with you. And that, you know, that parlays with this idea that a lot of HCM, you know, to me, it's interesting uh, to think about how much of, of the employee experience, for example, uh, HR is going to, you know, what, what is HR's natural place in the employee experience versus versus line managers, the people who interact with the employees having the experience and those line managers experience <laughs> for, the, for that matter, because they're employees too. Uh, it's all really, really interesting. And, you know, honestly, this, this is a, uh, this is this is a nice segue because I know we wanted to talk about you know engagement of employees and uh, and uh, and I know that you have some philosophies around that vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion as well at Unit Four. Yeah, I think you know it's interesting. What the thing which at Unit Four which attracted me firstly to the company, you know, when the PE firm asked me to have a look at Unit Four was the the strap line. So we have we have a strap line on our brand which says Unit Four in business for people, mm. and that was what got me interested. Um, you know, in terms of well, what could that mean? What does that actually mean in the business? And, and I don't think it was then very well crystallized and defined. But the thing I like about it is that it 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 resonates for customers. So we're in business for people-based businesses. Mm -hmm. business for people ourselves and i think it creates a very kind of um symbiotic outward looking and inward looking kind of statement of mm -hmm. what we are which is really important and then you know i think when you think about any business i i, I do find somewhat the the sort of constant focus and talking about dei um almost like, well, why are we talking so much about it? Shouldn't it be second nature um, in organizations? You know, and having had the, um, you know, I think the, been very fortunate enough to grow up in, in one of the biggest diversity Petri dish experiments, i.e., you know, the, the whole transition of South Africa yeah. from apartheid days to, to the change and what it is, mm. um, you know, it's always been kind of a second nature thing for me. Um, so, you know, I think we, to me, that's the biggest uh, thing about an organization is this is something which is driven in my experience by a lot of empathy and about leaders. You cannot solve DNI with a process. You can solve it with empathy and the right leaders in an organization. That's a huge point. Um, and, you know, if we're getting down to brass tacks here, uh, so to speak, um, as an analyst in the space, um, I see a lot of solutions out there. And um, in the 
and the marketing that kind of wraps around it, there's a lot of discussion about DEI and how it helps with DEI and all that. And I'm not saying that it doesn't because, you know, a lot of these solutions, and this might be a segue into AI at some point during our discussion today, but, you know, you can have AI or machine learning or whatever you want to call it that's that's understanding um, uh, who's out there. Let's say talent acquisition, and it, it's helping to bring in more, uh, a greater volume of potential new hires who are, you know, categorizable as, as diverse hires. Um, so that does help, but, um, but that, there's sort of mechanics there's a mechanics of DEI, and then there's and then there's the whole abstraction uh, around DEI, and and uh, you know you're not going to you know you can have, this, I like automobile analogies, right? You can have a you know a, a really fast Porsche or Corvette or whatever, a uh, really great car, but if you if the driver doesn't know how to drive it, you know that's you know, you're only going to get so much out of that. So that to me is where the empathy uh, comes in. So you bring up a super important point. Yeah, and I think the whole thing about beliefs and empathy in leaders, I think in this topic trumps process. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is you have people's views on DEI are kind of shaped and grounded by their upbringing. You know, mine was shaped very significantly by my upbringing and and the experiences I had growing up in South Africa. Now, whether somebody's grown up in Norway or England or US, it's very much shaped by that. Um, And there's no one size fits all answer. So coming up with a process in North America may feel totally alien to a leader or employee in Norway or in, you know, somewhere else in the world. Mm-hmm. because of the the sort of <clears throat> cultural background but the belief system can be common you know the fundamental beliefs you know i always say to leaders if you don't fundamentally believe that having the most diverse team is going to be add more value be more exciting create more innovation be more develop you more as a leader by having more diverse reports you don't fundamentally believe that you know that's that's an issue, you know, what, yeah. let's have a discussion. And so I think this is an area where recruiting for beliefs is really important when you're bringing leaders on around the topic. And I'm a little bit, well, I'm a little bit, I'm quite skeptical and cynical about, is this a category of HR tech tools? Yeah. Because I think HR tech tools are going to be built, you know, if, if the tool originates in, the USA, it's going to have a kind of the history of the USA yeah. embedded in the tool. If it's built in Germany, it's going to have the history of Germany. If it's built in South Africa, it's going to have that history embedded in how the tool operates. And I don't believe there's a single process, universal process, which companies can adopt, which is going to magically change you know, the whole DEI landscape. So I have strong views on this, that it's all about beliefs. It's all about empathy. You know, it's all about the leaders. And if you can get that right, then a lot of good stuff can happen. 
in the organization. Absolutely, yeah. So, and th- and that's where the um, you know, the 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 tools and functionality that that just so happen to help uh, with DEI, um, you can get the most yield, or that you can get your, your real money's worth out of them. Um, and I agree with you. I'm, I'm skeptical as well that there's really a, a true category of HR HCM technology that will you know be DEI solely focused you're absolutely right on that you know and for some of the um the uh the the skeptics out there um and and we don't judge them but but at the same time there is actually i've I've been learning a lot about this over the past few years and there is some uh, some evidence strong evidence out there that that uh that diversity uh equity and especially diversity and inclusion uh, equity is, you know, that's important too. But let's talk about diversity and inclusion here. Google did some uh, some uh, longitudinal, some massive longitudinal research within its organization around um, diversity and inclusion and all that, and they they found that, uh, you know, if on teams where everybody feels like they are they are that their opinion is welcome, for instance, right? So let's talk about inclusion. Um, that those teams perform better and uh, because there's more innovative thought you could call it bright brainstorming or ideation whatever you know innovation true innovation versus you know uh, attempts at it you know to achieve it are two different things but you can't get there without brainstorming and ideation probably um that yeah so those teams perform better and um that's something i actually learned recently but you know this there's this is not you know, there's, there's sort of, you know, I think, you know, if you look at the general population, you know, in the HCM technology space, especially where we're very much sort of attuned to this and we're, we're very much aware of it and we, we understand it, but, you know, in the great blue yonder, uh, wide blue yonder, well blue, blue yonder, whichever it is, you know, there's, there is some skepticism there. And so it's important to kind of bring this this understanding to, you know, to think it, you know, that's, oh, this is just kind of a wishy-washy soft topic, but, but there is some very, um, very um, defensible uh, research behind it. I think there's a lot of, there's, there's good research at a sort of company level, particularly around innovation, you know, diverse teams are way more innovative, but I think when you stand back a bit and just look at a macro picture, Mm -hmm. you know, I always say, I think the biggest living proof of diversity being successful is Silicon Valley. Um, just look at, you know, the diversity of nationalities and cultures and founders and CEOs, which make up, you know, that whole innovation hotspot of Silicon Valley and all the companies which have been spurned out of that, you know, that is not pure, you know, American only what uh, type of environment. It's incredibly diverse. Attracts people from all over the world, from all walks of life, to create that outcome. So when you stand back and look at the big picture, you know there's the biggest living proof. And you know what? That's a really great point. And it and it developed organically. There was no sort of um, uh, sort of authoritative force that that said you guys have to do this. It just it just developed that way organically. And you know, not for not, this is kind of interesting. I learned just the other day scrolling through LinkedIn actually about the uh, and it was called the Traitorous Nine or Traitorous Eight or whatever they way back in the day, the 
the late 1950s, I think it was, they all left a certain company and founded the first sort of real bona fide, uh, successful tech company in, in the Silicon Valley area. And they all happened to be um, white guys. Uh, so it's interesting, you know, it started that way. And but it didn't stay that way. You know, so it's, it's just really interesting. It, it, yeah, this is just absolutely fascinating. Let's talk a little bit about it. This is a nice segue to HR at Unit 4. I know that um, this was something that really struck me um, and I, it really resonated with me uh, back when I was at the uh, Analyst Summit. Um, you call it people, the people success department. You've, you've dispensed with the term HR, uh, so to speak. I don't want to take words out of you. Um, put words in your mouth, but could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so we um, we call it people success um, because ultimately, I think you know, having been in NGA, a payroll company, you kind of you 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 un deeply understand the roots of HR as being the payroll department, yeah. and you know, you go back. That's how a lot of HR, you know, that's the kind of the origins of HR. But actually, what is HR? HR, is, in my view, is about enabling leaders, enabling people to be successful. Um, and that can take place through a multitude of different tools, technologies, engagement. Um, so let's call it that. It is about people's success. Um, and, you know, I, I like the name because it doesn't have the same control dimension, which... Yeah human resource management yeah. as, you know, and then some people started calling it human capital management, <laughs> then just starts getting into like finance resource allocation connotations, you know, like a capital allocation, yeah. you know, and the end of the day, it's people, you know, it's people and people success. And so, you know, I think that resonates well, certainly for me and, and in our organization, and, you know, my my people success leader truly sees it in that light. That's her role. And that's what she wants to enable um, in the organization. Yeah, it's 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 a brilliant move, honestly, you know, because there's people success, that term. It could have been any number of terms to connote what you're emphasizing here. But I think people success really is because it's the word people. Right. That's the, you know, uh, I think we're, we're all kind of in the background in this industry, you know, on the sideline, you know, on the side, having little conversations here and there and try to think what's how can we get away from the term human capital management or, you know, let's think of something new. And, you know, I just um, that 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 was whatever, however that came about. That was a great conversation. <laughs> um, you know, the other thing is thinking thinking about human as as, as humans as capital, right? <laughs> you yeah. make a really good point there. Um, even there, though, you know, there's we're talking about a shift in thinking, right? You know, let's okay, all right, let's call them capital, but let's 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 measure them differently in in the in the GL or the spreadsheet, right? They're not a, you know, that they're not an expense. They're, a, you know, this is where I reach the outer limits of my accounting knowledge. <laughs> but, you know, what would be, you know, like they're, an, uh, you know, like a, an asset, um, something like that, right? Yeah, I mean, it's funny that because there was an era about 10 years ago where there was this massive kind of trend in the industry around how do we 
quantify the value of people in on the balance sheet and and how do we bring this kind of people are starting to look at it through a lens of very kind of accounting type lens you know i think it's fundamentally flawed you know and, and the end of the day it's like you know, trying to quantify the un, unquantifiable in the sense that you know we know that organizations with a, with a better people dynamic across multiple dimensions are way more successful so let's put our energy into trying to create that dynamic yeah. and sustain it versus putting a whole lot of energy into trying to quantify it and measure it. Because That's... What, you'll know it when you see it. You'll know it when you feel it and experience it. You yeah, don't exactly. need an accountant to measure it and sell it to you. I, you know, I, I, I feel like you're my spirit animal right now. Uh, you know, I, I, I totally agree, right? It's... Let's just put that into place for the best possible employer culture there is, and let's wait and see what happens, knowing that it will it will be good, right? It's you're absolutely right. It's fundamentally fundamentally flawed to try to quantify that because it's it's an unknown quantity. Aside from the fact that we know it will be greater than zero, it. It's an unknown quantity. It could be a million here. It could be a hundred thousand there. It could be sixty-seven dollars somewhere else. But it's going to be in the um, uh, an upward trajectory. That's why it doesn't fit into the uh, into the spreadsheet. And so, you know, to to look at organizational success solely through the lens of the accounting spreadsheet or organizational health uh, solely through the uh, lens of the accounting spreadsheet is a that's a a um, that's only a piece of the puzzle. Yeah, I totally agree. And and not to, uh, you know, I run a private equity-based company, so not to undermine the importance of, you know, financial metrics. Mm -hmm. But I think people's success and the people dynamic is a very powerful lead indicator mm -hmm. to what's where the financial dynamic is going to end up, you know. And a little bit different now with so much work from home, but you know, I used to say five, six years ago that when you walk into a company and you walk into the lobby and you spend your first 10 minutes walking around, it, it 10 minutes, you can get a feel for the culture of the organization. Yeah. And many of us would make, you know, I walk into a lot of companies selling to HR leaders. You'd make a, you'd, you'd formulate a view on the entire company based on that dynamic when you, you know, walk into the company and I would, I would say, being an accountant by profession, the views I formulate walking into the lobby of a company and, and touching and seeing the culture a bit are as equally important as the views I'd formulate looking at their balance sheet. Mm. And I'd probably get more predictive views out of the first one than looking at the balance sheet. That's a, that's a, that's, that's saying something that, that is so profound and, and, I'm glad you brought this up around, you know, being able to really kind of sense the um, the, the culture walking around for 10 minutes. And, you know, and again, it's a little bit different now with work from home and all of that. But especially when you're selling, uh, when you when you are, um, uh, I'll use the word selling, uh, selling a product to people leaders, especially that that to me is just essential it's it's indispensable uh it's it's inextricably linked 
to your ability to your success in growing your market share is is to have that because every single one of your customers or prospective customers is going to look to you as a they're going to you you will resonate with them as an inspiration because they 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 are in various stages of HR maturity or or HCM maturity whichever you want to call it and uh, and they they aspire to have a culture um, that that uh, matches the energy of yours uh, so you can so it's it's not just about the functionality obviously your functionality needs to be good but if you have two companies whose functionality are uh, you know, that don't don't suck, right? <laughs> They're both good enough. The one that has a better culture is, uh, you know, it, it's not it's not going to be a perfect, you know, you know, uh, you know, undefeated season. But but they are going to uh, to win those deals more than the others. Yeah, I totally agree with that because the culture, you know, how your people show up in front of a potential customer, you know, sends a strong signal to what that five, six, seven year, 10 year experience is going to be. And, and remember the more sweet type of the solution like ERP, you know, the less the 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 longer the cycles. People don't want to replace ERP every two years. They might replace compensation management mm -hmm. every but ERP, once you're in, you want to be there for 10 years. So people are really looking at uh, ERP when they think about it as a marriage. Mm -hmm. And you know, all those those non um, tangible factors really count. Yeah, you need to choose your mate well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, this has been absolutely fascinating, Mike. Uh, thank you so much for for joining us today. Um, really, really interesting stuff you're doing at Unit Four. Thank you, Brent. It's been great to talk to you, and uh, you know, just to remind you, this is live, Mike, not a bot. So. <laughs> yes, this is not a deep fake. This is real. <laughs> and maybe we'll talk about AI in our next uh, podcast. I'd love to have you back. Well, we had to say that with what's going on in the industry. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Thank you very much, Mike. Take care.